Good morning, College Park Church. Our scripture reading today is found in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 28, 19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Proverbs 22:13. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34 says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns, and the ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I might be biased, but that was probably the best reading of scripture I've ever heard in my life. It was unbelievable. I actually asked her if she wanted to preach instead of me, but we didn't think that would work out. So she chose to read scripture instead, and I cannot wait to say it is so good to be with you. We're going to be saying that soon, but it's good to be live together, experiencing worship together, hearing the word of God together, and now hearing his word proclaimed to us. Let's pray together. We would benefit from the hearing of God's word. Father, thank you so much that we get to not only hear from your word, but to be instructed by it, to be changed by it, to be convicted by it, to be encouraged by it, to be comforted by it, and to receive hope from it. So I pray that you would use the book of Proverbs this morning to wake us from our slumber, to help us examine our own hearts, and to see how we could better conform to the likeness and glory of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we all say together, amen. Well, I want you to think of the last time you heard someone ask you the question, how are you? How are you? How did you respond? Well, if you were like me or a whole host of people that I talk to and do life with, you probably answered in one of a couple ways, good, fine, all right, or you use that all too common word, B-U-S-Y, busy, busy. I am busy. Let's face it, we are a busy people, are we not? In fact, one study that was conducted in 2006 showed that Americans, the average American, works longer than anyone else in the industrialized world. That was, study was conducted in 2006, could you imagine, 14 years later that those numbers, no doubt, have increased, which is exactly why I want to speak to you on the topic of laziness, because I have a hunch, I think the book of Proverbs teaches, that laziness might actually be more relevant to our busy, laden lives than we might first think. But to do this, we must first ask the question, okay, broadly, what are we talking about? What is laziness? And how does Pro the book of Proverbs define it? And like most topics in the book of Proverbs, laziness isn't defined as much as it is described. As a result, laziness is often personified in a person named the sluggard. What is this sluggard like, you ask? Well, pastor theologian Ray Ortland captures it well when he writes the following. What is a sluggard like? 
Think of the way syrup oozes slowly out of a bottle when it is cold. That is the sluggard, sluggish and slow and hesitant, when he should be decisive, active, forthright. His life motto is, don't rush me. He is lazy, constantly making the soft choice, losing one opportunity after another, after another, after another, day by day, moment by moment, until he lies there helpless in his wasted life. Let's all admit it. There is a sluggard deep inside each of us. What a provocative quote. So here's the question. How can I know if there is a sluggard deep inside of me? Or maybe to put it another way, how can I know if I am a sluggard? This morning, we look through the book of Proverbs. As we look through it, we're going to discover four characteristics that the book gives us of the sluggard. Four characteristics that are meant to help you know if there is a sluggard deep inside of you. So to do this, we're gonna be all over the book of Proverbs. The teaching on Proverbs, in, the teaching in Proverbs, rather, on the sluggard, it's kind of all over the place. So we're gonna be quoting a lot of different scriptures. I encourage you to write them down, to reflect on them later today and this week for further instruction and insight. So let's get started. Four characteristics of a sluggard. Number one, the sluggard procrastinates. The sluggard procrastinates. The sluggard excels in putting things off and as a result, rarely finishes things. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 27 says, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. What is this? This is a picture. The sluggard goes out to hunt. He kills the turkey. But because it's so tedious and so hard to prepare the turkey for food, he leaves it to rot. His ambition is divorced of hard work. And as a result, Proverbs 19, verse 15 says, the sluggard suffers hunger. Why? because he is in the habit of playing when he should be working. Proverbs chapter 20, verse four, says the slugger does not plow in the autumn, he will seek at harvest and therefore have nothing. In other words, the sluggard tricks himself into thinking that if I can put this off, it will somehow make me happier. But what the slugger doesn't know is that delayed obedience only produces prolonged pain. The sluggard procrastinates so much that he actually falls in love with sleep. So much that if you were to go into his bedroom, you would think he is hinged to his bed. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 14 says, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Did you experience that this morning? Turning to and fro on your bed? The sluggard is so resistant to working hard that he chooses to just roll over in bed again and again and again, always turning, but never moving. So let me ask you, do you tend to procrastinate? In his article titled, Putting Off Procrastination, Walter Henniger writes the following, I procrastinate. I've been doing it most of my life. If a particular task is even remotely unpleasant, my first and persistent tendency is to put it off. I always put it off in the end, 
but it regularly makes me miserable. What Henniger is getting at is whenever you procrastinate, you are actually inviting anxiety into your life because no unpleasant task becomes any less unpleasant by putting it off until tomorrow. Putting it off, in other words, doesn't put it away. It's still there. A great example of this in my life is mowing, mowing. Let me just tell you how every mowing season starts for this guy. The first week, I'm so excited. I get to be outside, enjoy nature, mow my lawn, see a beautifully mowed lawn, it's amazing. The second week, I'm lamenting that grass grows this fast. Like, how does that even happen? I just mowed like two days ago. And then by the third week, I'm ready to pay anyone who's living and breathing to mow my lawn. That's how every mowing season works. And a couple of weeks ago, our family had a really busy week, crazy, a lot of things were going on. I was just tired and exhausted. I knew I had to mow the yard, but I didn't feel like it. So I just told myself, I'll just put it off until next week. It'll be totally fine. Then you know what happened? It rained a lot. So now when you drive by our house, you actually think you're driving by the Amazon in Indianapolis. That's how tall the grass is in my front lawn. And as I look outside and I go to work every morning, I look, see the lawn, and immediately anxiety just rushes over me. Because I know I should have mowed that lawn about a week ago and I still need to mow it and uh, I still don't feel like it and I need to mow the lawn. I keep putting it off and as a result, I feel more and more anxious. Can you relate? Are there things in your life that even right now, you know you're putting off and yet, even this morning, you can't stop thinking about it. It plagues you, it lives in the back of your mind. We would all, I think, benefit from the remembering the words of the old Scottish preacher, Alexander McLaren, who said the following, quote, if there be lying before you any bit of work from which you shrink, go straight up to it and do it at once. He says the only way to get rid of it is to do it. Wise, wise words from Mr. McLaren. The, the sluggard loves to procrastinate, and friends, don't we love to do the same? Are there things in your life that you are putting off that this morning you actually need to make a plan to do it this week? The proverb tells us this sluggard loves to procrastinate. So four characteristics of the sluggard. First, the sluggard procrastinates. Second, the sluggard makes excuses. He makes excuses excuses. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Proverbs 26, 13 says something similar, but a little bit different, a little bit nuanced. Proverbs 26, 13 says this. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. There is a lion in the streets. Now, what do we do with these two verses? These two verses are meant to paint a picture of how a sluggard thinks. You're getting inside of his brain. He wakes up in the morning after snoozing the alarm about 50 times, rolls out of bed, and begins to get ready for work. And as he's getting ready for work, putting on his pants, putting on his shirt, combing his hair, he begins to think to himself, you know, I don't really feel like going to work today. In fact, what sounds better than going to work is actually binging on Netflix. That sounds a lot better in my bed with a tub of ice cream. That sounds amazing. I would much rather do that than go to work. So you know what he does? He calls up his boss and says, um, yeah, I'm not gonna be able to come in today. 
Boss says on the other end of the line, oh, really? Why? Sluggard says, well, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to put this to you, but there's a sluggard outside my house. And if I go out there, he's going to eat me alive. So I can't come in today. And he hangs up and he goes back to his bed, grabs a tub of ice cream, begins gorging himself with it and watching Netflix. Now, that's quite ridiculous, isn't it? It's comical. In fact, out of every theme in Proverbs, the Proverbs tends to be more comical and humorous talking about the sluggard. The point in the illustration is to help us realize how ridiculous of an excuse the sluggard makes in order to get out of work. He says there is a line outside and that if he leaves, he's going to be killed. How preposterous. The sluggard lives by his cravings at the end of the day and will make any excuse no matter how far-fetched, in order to get what he wants. Brothers and sisters, don't we tend to do the same? It is so easy for me, for you, for us collectively to make excuses to avoid what we dislike so we can live a life of ease and comfort, isn't it? From chores to conflict resolution, We are all very creative in creating excuses in order to get out of uncomfortable situations. Or as one commentator states, quote, the most deadly excuses are the plausible ones, for by these our hearts are easily convinced. So brothers and sisters, let me ask you this morning, how are you currently using excuses to avoid hard work. Maybe you recently got in a conflict with someone and you know you need to have a conversation with that person, but you keep making excuses to avoid the issue. Maybe you have a job that you just flat out dislike. You don't like your job, but instead of being faithful to work and showing up every day, you keep making excuses to not go in. Maybe you're living with your parents And every time they ask you to do chores, your arms are magically sore and you're magically exhausted and tired, even though you've done nothing all day. And you keep making excuses to justify avoiding doing what your parents have asked you to do. Or maybe you need to lose some weight and you've known you need to lose some weight for a while, but you just keep making excuses every Monday when you drive by Chick-fil-A because that juicy Chick-fil-A sandwich, a number one with American cheese and pickle that I might have had last night, is just too good to pass up. My friends, listen. Today's excuses are tomorrow's regrets in disguise. Today's excuses are tomorrow's regrets in disguise. Don't be like the sluggard who is so addicted to his cravings that he makes up excuses to avoid hard work. So back to the question, what is a sluggard like? Well, he procrastinates. Secondly, he makes excuses. And thirdly, the sluggard cares too much about the unessential. The sluggard cares too much about the unessential. I want to point your attention to two Proverbs in particular because they are so important. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12, and then put your finger there, and then turn to Proverbs chapter 28. So there are two important chapters in the book of Proverbs that speak a lot about laziness and what the sluggard 
is like. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11, and then Proverbs 28, verse 19. First, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. It says this, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. And then Proverbs 28, verse 19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. The Hebrew word here in both texts for worthless can also be translated to mean vain or empty, like an empty bowl. The sluggard neglects the essential, farming for food in order to earn money, for the unessential, worthless, vain, empty pursuits. See, the problem here isn't that the sluggard is doing evil, wicked things. In fact, on the contrary, what the problem is, is the sluggard places a disproportionate amount of time, effort, energy, and resources on things that just don't matter most. His priorities aren't bad, they're just not best. And friends, this is a danger for us all. Because as in the words of one author, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. That is a great danger. So the question we must naturally ask is, how do I know if I care too much about the unessential? How can I know that? Well, here are three questions I would offer you to reflect on this morning. Question number one. Am I succeeding at work, but failing at home? Am I succeeding at work, but failing at home? Do you invest as much thought, time, and energy into your spouse and kids as you do at work? More specifically, are you Dr. Jekyll at work, but Mr. Hyde at home? Friend, if that's you, I want to remind you that your job is important. It really is. But it's not essential like your family. You can get another job. You can get another job, but you cannot get another family. It is a failure to succeed at work while failing at home. So how do I know if I care too much about the unessential? First, am I succeeding at work but failing at home? Secondly, do I have a clean house but a neglected soul? Do I have a clean house, but a neglected soul? Do you spend so much time and energy trying to impress others by cleaning or having an HGTV approved home that you neglect time with God? Is that you? To put it plainly, some of us have clean counters, but dusty Bibles. Cleaning the house is important, but not to the neglect of time with your creator. How do I know if I care too much about the unessential? First, am I succeeding at work but failing at home? Secondly, do I have a clean house but a neglected soul? And then thirdly, am I virtually present but physically absent? Am I virtually present but physically absent? More poignantly, Are you rich with followers on Twitter and Instagram, but impoverished with meaningful relationships? Let me be clear. I find social media 
useful. I have a Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram account and use them often. But if I tend to spend more time polishing my image online to the neglect of sharing life with real live people, there is something wrong, isn't there? The Proverbs tells us that it is far too easy to spend time, energy, and resources on things that are not more than worthless pursuits. So what is the sluggard like? Well, we've learned he procrastinates, he makes excuses, he cares too much about the unessential, and maybe most importantly of all, lastly, the sluggard cares too little about the essential. Cares too little about the essential. Turn with me in your Bibles in Proverbs to Proverbs chapter 24. It was read just a few minutes ago at our scripture reading. Proverbs chapter 24, specifically to verses 30 and 34. Proverbs chapter 24, we're gonna read verses 30 to 34. In this passage, the wise man details what he learns from observing the sluggard. He begins in verse 30. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. In verse 32, then he says, then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. What's happening here? Well, the wise man gets up one day and wonders what the neighbor down the road, the sluggard, is up to. So he gets in his car, starts it up, drives down the road, and drives by the sluggard's vineyard, a source of food to all who owned one. And as he drives by, he finds an overgrown dump, an absolute dump. And what was meant to be cultivated, obviously, in this vineyard is now chaos because of the sluggard's laziness. More importantly, the author says that the sluggard's vineyard is overgrown with thorns and nettles. This is really, really important because in Genesis chapter three, God says that thorns and nettles specifically will be a sign of his judgment on Adam and Eve for rebelling against God and not stewarding the garden of Eden. The sluggard is meant to cultivate his vineyard, you see, as an essential part of life, but he lets it go instead because of his laziness. The principle here is just so clear for all of us. The sluggard cares too little about the essential and necessary things in life. So the question we then ask, well, what are the essential and necessary things in life? We don't wanna neglect these, what, what are they? Well, Jesus makes it really clear in the New Testament in, in two specific texts. First in Luke 10, which is familiar to many of us that have been around church for any amount of time. Luke 10, you remember Jesus comes to Martha's house and Mary chooses, he says, to sit at his feet and listen to his teaching while Martha is running around getting the house ready. And Jesus sees that there's a problem here. And so Jesus says in Luke 10, verse 41, he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. That's very obvious. Verse 42, but one thing is necessary. One thing is essential. Mary has chosen the good portion, 
which will not be taken away from her. What is Jesus saying? Jesus says something specific and more explicit in Mark chapter eight, verse 36, where he asks the rhetorical question, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? Perhaps the greatest characteristic of a sluggard is not that he procrastinates or makes excuses or cares too much about the unessential or too little about the essential. Maybe the most characteristic, the highest characteristic, the most important characteristic of a sluggard is that he cares too little about his soul. Too little about his soul. Brothers and sisters, has this been true of you this past week? If you have been a Christian for more than just 30 minutes, you are quite familiar with the all too common temptation of neglecting your own soul. I once had someone tell me here at our church, he's a good friend of mine, he came up to me, we didn't really know each other at the time, he said, man, it must be so nice to be a pastor because you probably never struggle with reading your Bible. I said, dear friend, let me laugh for a minute and tell you, you are terribly deceived. There are many days in which I am quicker to check the score from last night's game than spend time with God. And if I am not careful, it is easy for me to wake up in the morning and run to my to-do list than to run into the arms of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if we were to evaluate my week and your week from the last couple months, from the last year, would we agree with the words of Charles Spurgeon? We are busy about a thousand things, but sluggish about our souls. If that's you, I wanna challenge you to have a devotional time every day for the next 30 days. I want you to find a place and a time, same place, same time, every day to practice the ordinary means of grace. And to help you do this as a church, we've compiled a list of Bible reading plans, prayer resources, and helpful devotionals to get you started at cpcresources.net. We're doing this because we wanna help you not trade in your soul for a thousand unessential things this week. Spend time with God and watch your faith grow in him as you do it. So, that's the list. Let me ask you, do you tend to procrastinate, make excuses, care too much about the unessential and care too little about the essential? Or to put it another way, is there a sluggard deep inside of you? If the answer is yes, there's really good news for you. Because the message of the gospel is that Jesus redeems lazy people. How does he do it? By living the life that they, could have, they should have lived and living that life in their place. You know, one of the reasons that we need the local church, of course, virtually now, but hopefully physically soon, is because all week, all week long, we experience a world that is filled with news headlines, discouraging TED Talks, controversies, debates, slander, selfishness, and pride. And we need to be reminded every Sunday, every single Sunday, because we are so prone to forget that the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus is not like us. And that is really, really good news, especially when it comes to laziness. Think about it. We procrastinate so we can do what we want. Jesus says in John 6, verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, 
not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. We make excuses to avoid hard things. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We neglect essential things and seldom finish what we start. But Philippians 1.6 tells us that Jesus always finishes what he starts because he who began a work, good work in you will finish it at the day of redemption. In every way that we fail, Jesus succeeds. He lived the life we couldn't, died in our place, not so that we can continue in our laziness, but so that we can join him in the greatest work of all. What is the greatest work of all? Spreading the good news to all people in all the world. Listen, Jesus is the only one who can transform a sluggard into a soldier. The church is an army. We are an army marching to the ends of the earth, telling all people of all tribes, of all nations, that Jesus is alive and well and can redeem their sinful souls. So what is the bad news? Well, the bad news is that there is a slugger deep inside all of us, isn't there? We tend to procrastinate. We tend to make excuses. We tend to care too much about the unessential, and we tend to care too little about the essential and necessary things in life. But what is the good news? Well, we can change and have hope because Jesus is not like us. And when we place our faith in him, he invites us into this worldwide mission of going to all peoples of all places to tell them about the good news of the gospel. And friends, what the Bible tells us is that one day the church will finish her work because Jesus first finished his. And that is really good news for a sluggard, isn't it? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you, in your mercy, have called people who tend to be lazy in so many areas of life to not just say, get better, but you actually do what we could not do for ourselves. And as a result, when we place our faith in you, you redeem us. And you invite us into a work that is greater and supersedes all work, and that is spreading the good news of the gospel to everyone. And so we are grateful, Lord Jesus, that you have finished your work so that we can start ours. We are grateful that we are your people. We do long for the day when we can gather together and we can remind each other in person, Jesus is not like us, and that is worthy of worship. So we praise you today, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.